And then Hebrews chapter number 12, it starts off in just an amazing way. And that's what I want our theme verse to be. And your kids are going to come home with this same verse also. And this will be our theme verse, our foundational verse over the next few weeks. It's in your sermon notes. It's on the screen. Man, your kids are coming home with it on a memory verse card. I mean, we've done everything we can to get this verse in front of you. But they get done talking about the Hebrews Hall of Fame and the, and the greats that have gone on, the great men and the great women. And then this is said, and this is what got me uh, calling this the amazing race. I want you to kind of get the imagery and the picture in your mind. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Think about that. And, And think about the Olympics. Think about that Derek Redmond. He's running the race and the stands are filled with people cheering up for all of the runners. And that's how it is for us. And I I want us to kind of get that picture in our mind. We're running this thing called life. But there are some heroes that we read about. Some amazing men and women that have already been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt. They've gone through that day of discouragement. They've gone through that lonely time. They've gone through that time of fear. They wondered if they could make all ends meet. They, they, They wondered all the same things. They fought all the same things, overcame all the same temptations. And the writer of Hebrews says, man, since we're surrounded by all these great heroes... They're they're in I want you to see that today they're watching us run this race and they're cheering for us and they're 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 shouting, you can make it. I know you're discouraged today, but I was discouraged too. I know you feel like you're the only one in your family, but I felt that way too. I know you feel all alone, but man, I was in the lion's den and I felt that way too. I know you feel the heat is on, but I was in the fiery furnace and God brought me through. And because they've been through it, they have some credence and they're cheering for you and I, not just to make it to heaven, but to reach the plans and the purposes and the destinies that God has for us and to finish the race that God has laid out before us. He goes on to say, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Does anybody beside me ever get entangled by the affairs of the world, the concerns of the world? And it says, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. It goes on to say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, when they're running the race, they're, they're not looking behind them to see who's catching them. They got their eyes on the prize. They got their eye on the finish line. Your eyes on Jesus. The author... And one translation says the finisher or the perfecter. In other words, God was there when we started this thing and he's going to be there at the end of this thing. And he's not only at letter A and letter Z, but he's also in LMNOP. How many hear what I'm saying, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. I love and I just love the imagery of this. And so I got to thinking about it, just like the Olympics, just like Derek Redmond falling down and his father coming out. I want, I want over these next six weeks, we're going to pull one character out of the stands each week. And today I want to pull out the character of Noah. Anybody ever heard of Noah? And, 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 and Noah's going to come out of the stands this weekend. He's going to talk to us a little bit. 
And, and I, I often wondered, well, what would Noah say in my time when I'm down on the mat, when I'm trying to run my race, when I'm, when I'm trying to reach the things that God has put in my heart, and, and it doesn't seem like I'm getting there, and maybe I'm discouraged, and, and this race, this life, isn't kind of working out kind of quite the way that I thought that it would. Has anybody else ever been there before? Like, man... Things aren't going according to the way I thought they would go. It's just, and, and, and every once in a while, discouragement can set in. And I, I, I just feel there's been times in my life where I've had to crack open my Bible and not let those characters of Scripture mentor me and speak into my life. They're there for a reason. That's why the, the chapter 12, verse 1 starts with, therefore. They're there for a reason to speak into our life. I often wondered, what would Noah say as he came down? And I thought of a lot of things Noah could say. I, I thought Noah could just get up and say, hey, don't miss the boat. I mean, no, that would probably be a good thing for Noah to say, right? Uh, he's probably the one that started the phrase, you know, if your ship doesn't come in, swim out to get it. Or, you know, different things. Noah probably could talk to us a lot about planning ahead. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, for, for those of you that don't know, 120 years he worked on the ark. I mean, no, that's some planning ahead, right? Yeah, I'm going to plan ahead. In about 120 years, there's going to be this flood thing go on. And so I'm going to just start investing now. How many, you know, I mean, he could really speak to us about planning ahead. Of course, as Noah would speak to us... A lot of characters, there are things I would like to ask them. One of the things I'd just like to ask Noah is, why did you allow the two mosquitoes on the ark? How many agree with me on that, right? I mean, why did they have to get on? You know, were they hiding in the hippo's ear or, you know, what was going on there? Anyway, I know, I'm sidetracked and I get up. But when, but when I imagine Noah, I, I imagine Noah as this character. When you guys read Bible characters, do you start formulating what you think they look like? Anybody? I do that. And I, I kind of, I have this imagery in my mind, and I don't want to ruin your picture, but I just have this picture in my mind of Noah looking kind of like one of the characters off of Duck Dynasty. Have you ever seen that show or the pre? I mean, I just kind of see him as sigh coming down. All right, guys, let's grab the hammer. Come on. You know, he's got camel on. I mean, you know, he's good with animals, right? He's going to bring two of every kind of them on the ark. And I, that's just who I see. Kind of a, a mixture between ZZ Top and the Duck Dynasty. There's no. That's, I, I don't know. He's just playing a little bit of, you know, ZZ Top in the background while he's building the ark. I don't, I don't know. I know. That's very, you know, unspiritual for some of you. But it's just, it's my Bible character. Let me think of him the way I want to, all right? And I can relate to him that way. But let me just give you a little bit of historical understanding of where he fits into Scripture. Because a lot of people think that, um, that the Bible is written in a chronological order. And that's not necessarily true. It starts off in the beginning. But there's a lot of books of the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, that kind of overlap and are, and are inserted in different time. And to just kind of give you an idea of where the story of Noah takes place, Noah takes place about ten generations into uh, the creation of man. So it, it, it's really, most scholars agree that it's about a thousand years from Adam that, that there's Noah. And the Bible describes that time as a very evil, wicked time. Men are lovers of themselves and all those kind of things. And, and many scholars, about 90-something percent of scholars, there's some that differ on this. Um, we, we do see rain in Old Testament. 
Uh, but remember, it's not chronological. Many believe that, that the heavens never poured rain down until the flood. As a matter of fact, if you read in the early part in the garden when Adam was there, that the earth gave up like mist and what we would call mist and dew to water its vegetation. Now, I'm not here to debate that. That's not a heaven or hell issue. But I think it's kind of interesting that God would call Noah to build an ark and because rain was going to come down and there was never any rain, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's kind of the background. But let's get to it. What would Noah say? You're down on the mat. You're trying to reach your goals, your destiny, the plans and purposes. And Noah comes out of the stands, just like the scene that we, we witnessed here. What would Noah say? And I think if he could only say one thing to us, I think this is what Noah would say. I think Noah would whisper into every one of our ears, get up, let's finish this race, because one man can make a difference. Amen. I think he would pick us up, and women, that includes you too. Let me say it a different way. One person can make a difference. And I think that's what he would say. And I want this message to be for everyone who thinks that your life doesn't count. That thinks that, man, I'm not measuring up. I want this message to be for all those that say, well, that's easy for you, Kim, because you're a pastor and you get to speak to us. And all I do is teach school. Come on now. All I do is go to the Ford and put a door on a vehicle every week. All I do, and there is nothing minimal. God has orchestrated your plans and your purposes. And what you do to make a living is just to bring in food and water. But God has a greater purpose for you. Don't be identified by how you make your living. Is everybody hearing that today? And so for everyone that kind of thought, man, my life is not really amounting to anything. I want you to hear Noah. I want to encourage you to keep running, keep pressing toward the goals and the destinies that God has in you. And hear Noah say to you, one man can make a difference. You say, well, that's real good for you, but how can I make a difference? Well, let's go back to the beginning just for a moment. Genesis chapter number 6. And let's pick up part of the story of Noah, uh, just so you can get a little more familiar with them. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of his thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? It kind of sounds a little bit like the world we live in today. It says, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. It goes on and says, so the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But watch verse number eight. Watch verse eight. It says, but Noah. Everybody say that with me. But Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I just find that powerful. And that's where he has the credibility to say one man can make a difference. God's looking down. There's evil everywhere. He doesn't say there's one city that I'm blessed with. He doesn't say there's one clan that I'm blessed with. He says there's one man that I find favor with. And this one man will make a difference for all of mankind. Do you know how insignificant Noah probably felt as he's building that ark? 120 years, time's getting worse. There's no rain. I mean, you know, it's one thing to be excited in the first year of building a church. I mean, building an ark. 
It's another thing to be two years and three years. But man, a hundred years have gone by. I haven't seen a raindrop in a hundred years. God, are you sure about this? A hundred and twenty years. Just doing the menial, same old, same old, same old routine of life. But God was getting ready to take those ordinary days. And they were going to compound to extraordinary days. You say, well, that's good, Kim, but how do I make a difference? What, what is the thing that I do to make a difference? Well, one person can make a difference. As a matter of fact, I, I was recalling some of the things I remembered in school. One vote during the American Revolution was the difference between America speaking English or German. I mean, no, that one vote made a difference. One vote made Texas a state. One vote. One, or, or France became a republic out of a monarchy by one vote. So how do you make a difference? How do I make a difference? In this world, this vast world, come on, give me some practical things how I can make a difference. Three things. Three things that no matter what your age or stage or your lot is in life, three things that I believe all of us can take Noah's advice on today. Number one, it's in your notes. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your family. You're the pastor of your home. You're, you can make it. I can't change the world. I've come to that. Re- I remember when I started out, I wanted to change the world. And then I realized I'm having a hard enough time changing myself. How many can relate to that, right? And I can't change the world. But you know what? God can give me the influence to change my world. To be faithful in my world. And as I'm faithful in those things, God can allow me to do more. But every one of us here, we can make a difference in our family. Let me talk to you a little bit about this. And let's go back to Genesis chapter number 7, verse number 1. I want you to see this verse. Again, talking about Noah. Watch this. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. So 120 years have passed. They built the ark. And God says to Noah, go into the ark. Why? Because the previous verse we read said that Noah found favor. Nowhere in the Bible does it says his sons found favor. It doesn't say his wife found favor. I'm sure she did. But but I, nowhere does it say he had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. How about those names, right? And, my, you know, and, so, and so it doesn't say that they found favor. It doesn't say that their wives found favor. It says Noah found favor. Watch what it goes on to say. He says, go into the ark. You, watch this underline, you, you and your whole family. You see, because of the way Noah was living his life, his entire family was getting ready to reap the benefits of a man of God living righteous and making a difference in his family. Because watch what it says. Because I have found favor in you. Because I found favor in you, your whole family is getting ready to be able to reap the benefit and live in the blessing because of you. Man, every one of us have that same opportunity to be a blessing and to make a difference in our family. And I take that literal. I believe that today I have two kids that are now adults. And I believe that they have the privilege of starting their life living in generational blessing and having blessings on them and having God's favor on them because of the way that we have lived our lives as parents and because of the things we've demonstrated, because of the prayers we've had together and the marriage we've worked on together and the God that we've served together. My wife and I, we have broken generational curse 
You see, my wife and I, we started in generational curse, but we came together, broke those generational curse, and now my kids are starting in generational blessing, and they have the favor, the covering, the ark covering, the blessing covering, the favor of God on their life. Now, that's not to say they can't choose to sin and choose to move away from God, but Patty and I worked to break a generational curse where they would have to work to break a generational blessing. See, I believe God's blessing is on them because of the way we've chose to live our life. Right there. Because I have found you righteous. You're in right standing. You're glorifying me. You're taking care of my family. I'm going to take care of your family. Isn't that a great thing? See, I think that's what God is saying. He says, I'm going to let the favor that's on your life affect your whole family. There's an interesting scripture that I hear a lot of Christians kind of quote proper and a lot of people quote improper or not right. And it's found in Acts chapter number 16. It's in verse number 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus. And I'm picking up right in the middle of the story. But it says, believe in the Lord uh, Jesus and you will be saved. And then it says this, you and your whole household, your, your whole household. Now, a lot of people misunderstand that. Now, I believe God's favor and blessing is on my kids. But I'm not silly enough to think that just because I'm serving God means they'll serve God. See, they have to come to a place where they're going to decide to have their own relationship, or they already have, but they had to come to a place where they had to decide, I'm going to live under the blessings of God. I'm going to take that blessing, that legacy that was handed down, and I'm going to bring that into my relationships and my family and my children. Everybody following with me on that? See, it doesn't mean that just because I say the sinner's prayer and ask God into my life, that just because of that, my kids are going to serve the Lord. Let me break this down just a little bit. He says, you and your whole household. Household is where we get the word family. It comes from a Greek word, oikios. Uh, I don't know if we have that on the screen or not. And, uh, and here's what it means. It means to, to impact the impact your sphere of influence. So let me kind of read that scripture just a little bit different. It means to impact your sphere of influence, your household, those that you influence, you're going to be able to impact. How many know you impact those that live in your house, good or bad, but you're going to impact them? You're going to teach your daughters how to be treated. You're going to teach your sons. You're going to teach them either how to have turmoil or you're going to teach them how to have peace. You're going to teach them how to rely on God? Or are you going to teach them how to rely on others and money and jobs and all those things that can't bring fulfillment? You're going to influence them one way or another. And so if we were really reading this verse, it would almost be like, so if you get saved, you will impact your sphere of influence. And I was able to witness this no more firsthand uh, in my life when I moved to Washington in 2007, and I moved out to be to, to help a church and to pastor a church and to be by a father that I never knew and no brothers and sisters that I literally never knew. And, and I, I began to pray this verse, God, me and my house, give me impact in my sphere of influence. 
And I'll never forget a little boy growing up without his father, now 40 years old, stepping up on a platform to preach the good news of Jesus. And on the front row for one year, every Sunday, my dad, who never made a ball game, who never watched me do my school activities, but I would sacrifice all of that for him to sit on the front row and hear me preach the good news of Jesus Christ. He gave me the opportunity to impact the sphere of my family. Does that make sense? My my or, or my household. What was so cool is his ex-wife came to church one Sunday with her new husband, and his ex-wife got saved, and her new husband got saved, and the kid they had together got saved. Come on, that's impacting the sphere of my household, right? And then his current wife came to church, and she got saved, and her daughter got saved, and her son-in-law got saved, and consequently all her grandchildren got saved. And another Sunday, my brother got saved. And another Sunday, some of their friends got saved. Why? Because he allows me to make a difference in my sphere of influence. And never forget that. Moms and dads, live with integrity. Let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. Keep your word and live with ethics and morals and integrity because God has given each one of us the opportunity to make a difference in our family. Come on, do you believe that today? Amen. Number two, not only does he give us the opportunity to influence or impact or make a difference in our family, but number two, you can make a difference in your generation. God gives us the ability to make a difference in our family, but he also gives us the opportunity to make a difference in our generation. In other words, God, it's not a mistake that I was born in the year I was born in, that I'm pastoring in the time that I'm pastoring. It's not a mistake that God created you before, before the foundations of the world, and He put a date on you, a born-on day. And He said, it's not an accident. This is the day you will be born. This is the life. This is the season I need you to live in. Because I want you to impact, and I've put things in you. I've gifted you in ways that will impact your generation that, that are different than the gifts he put in Paul to impact his generation. Are you tracking with me? Here's why that's important for us to grab a hold of. If we don't grab this principle, then we begin to live life self-centered. And we begin to live life selfishly. We begin to live life with the motto, it's all about me. And how many know that's the culture of America trying to get us to live life like it's all about us. But God says, you can make a difference when you don't live life all about you. You live it for those that you're doing life together with. Amen. That's why we do church the way we do church around here. We do church a little bit different. We, we're not trying to be everybody else. We're, we, don't, we don't claim that we're better than anybody. But our mission is to be a church that's making a difference in our generation. In other words, we could come to church and it could be all about us mature saints. We could preach hour-long messages and dive into all the scripture and go deeper and deeper. You ever hear Christians always want to go deeper, right? And we could go deeper and deeper and, and we could do all the things that maybe we like because we've been in church since we've been five years old. But we're not trying to do church to appeal to us. We want to kind of create a culture that your friends and your family and your co-workers and your friends that have never been to church, that you would never be embarrassed to invite them to church and simply hear a clear-cut gospel message so that we can impact our generation. In other words, why should anybody eat twice before everybody has eaten once? Does that make sense, everybody? 
That's, we can impact our generation. We have some simple rules around here. Sunday morning is very simple. We're not a complicated church. We do four things. That's all. That's all we do. I'm not smarter to do more than four things. I got to keep it simple. Number one is every Sunday morning, our total, some total of our goal is to proclaim Christ. Amen. That's it. We're going to work really hard to preach a message where you can apply that to everyday life. And, and I love Greek and Hebrew and diving deeper, but guess what? That's goal number two. That's pastoring people, going deeper, maybe, maybe having more worship experience, whatever it is. But we've got to remember that Sunday is not just about us. It's about our generation. Does that make sense, everybody? It's about living selflessly and living in a way where somebody can come and understand and grab hold of. And that's why we got people that have been in church five minutes that give their life to the Lord. We got people that have been in church 50 years that can get something out of the message. Does that make sense? And so we can impact our generation. God gives us that opportunity. Then number three, the third thing. Oh, before I go to the third thing, I was just thinking... You know, about three months ago, I started wearing these glasses, and they're still still trying to get used to them. Ken says I look way more intelligent in them, so I really try to keep them on as much as I can now. And uh, and so I went to the eye doctor, and I see some of you with glasses, so you've had the eye doctor experience. Well, I, I went to the eye doctor, and he gave me an exam, and made me read all these letters and stuff, and 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 he came back and he said, "You're farsighted." And I said, no, I'm not farsighted. I can see everything far away fine. Those of you with glasses are like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I think it's kind of interesting because optometrists, doctors, you know, they're the only ones that diagnose you for what you can do, not what you can't do. It's like going to the doctor and say, hey, I broke my arm. And the doctor's saying, well, good, you can run. You know, it's kind of like that. It's just like the most backwards thing I've ever heard of, you know. I can't see nothing up here. Oh, great, you're farsighted. You can run. You know, that kind of thing. And so, gives me these glasses. I mean, you guys look great with, with, or without the glasses. But when I turn around here and try to see any of this, uh, it looks like little ants all over the table. I can't see nothing. And I got to thinking, you know, of all problems to have with your vision, I'll take that one. Because what if that was, what if new generations was farsighted? In other words, what if we could see all those that are far off? All those that are far away from God. What if we kept our focus on all those people that aren't serving God and we were a little bit blurry close up? Are you hearing what I'm saying today on that? That's what I want us to be. Number three, the third way that we can make a difference. The third thing. And there's a scripture verse in there that I skipped over. Please pay attention to that later. But number three, you can make a difference for God. I remember writing a series and, and I just felt I kind of deposited that in my heart. I'm like, I can make a difference for God? You know, God doesn't need me. God is God. But he gives me, he gives me, puts his favor on me, puts me under the umbrella of the ark of his blessing and protection. Because he has a plan for me in this generation. And that I can make a difference for God. In other words, He's gifted you, He's gifted me, and we can use our gifts to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I would love it if every single Christian would make it their theme song. Matter of fact, Byron, maybe our new music theme song ought to be, Put Me In Coach, I'm Ready To Play. Come on. I think that ought to be our theme song. 
Some of you that are over a certain age will recognize that song. Put me in coach, you know, I'm ready to play. And and George Barna was just with another one of our overseers, Aaron Jane. And he said to Aaron, they just did, they just completed all these new stats and said that somewhere, and I don't remember exactly, but I know it was in the 90 percentile. 90% of Christians never really get in the game. They receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they're happy with waiting for the bus to come pick them up and bring them to heaven. But they never make a difference for God. And I don't want to be that person. How about you? Noah has encouraged me to get up off the mat and run my race. As he returns to the grandstands, I think he would leave me with these last two little comments. I think he would say, hey, Ken, get back in the race. And I think this is what he would say. I I think Noah would just whisper to me and say, hey, to be a difference maker, you got to be willing to be different. You can't be afraid of men. You can't be afraid of what people are going to talk about. If you're going to make a difference, you've got to be willing to be different. And then I think it'd probably be a little funny about it. I think he would say things like, man, God asked me to build a boat. I mean, can you imagine, Ken? Really, I'm out there building a boat. Neighbors are coming by saying, hey, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a boat. Well, man, it looks too big for the lakes around here. Yeah, but all the lakes are going to come together. There's a stuff from called rain that's going to come down and floods going to happen. What's a flood? Well, the water's going to cover the whole earth. And I can see his buddies walking around going, you know, like, okay, you know, whatever. But he kept on building, right? In order to be a difference maker, you got to be willing to be different. I mean, come on, think about it. 120 years. I mean, whole kids were being born and growing up knowing nothing but Noah, the guy on the corner building this big atrocity in the middle of the town. You know, what is going on? They're going to school. Oh, that's just Noah. I mean, it's one thing. 80 years later, yeah, that's just Noah. I mean, these kids are now having kids. Oh, that's Noah. You know him. He's kind of a little, woo, a little different, right? But he made a difference. Yeah. Hey, Ken, I want you to go to Michigan and I want you to plan a church in a terrible economy. And, 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 and I want you to plan a church with no building and no guarantees. In order to make a difference, you've got to be willing to be different. And you cannot be afraid of men. Proverbs tells us not to be afraid. I think it's Proverbs chapter number 29 says to us, uh, look, if you were afraid of men, it, it's a snare. It will prove to be a snare. All right. And uh, you can jot that down. I think it's in your notes. But let me give you the last thing he would say. Not only would he say to be a difference maker, um, you've got to be willing to be different. I think he would say this. I think that, that Noah would say, don't be afraid to do something for the very first time. I would encourage every one of us. Let me just give you some simple things. Don't be afraid for the very first time to come to our growth track. It happens right after our 11 o'clock service. Don't be afraid to walk in there and say, hey, I don't know what to expect. But don't be afraid to put your toe in the water and say, you know what? I want to be more of a Christian than just sits on the sideline watching the game. I I want to get involved. Here's step number one. Every single week it happens. We'll make it easy. We'll, we'll, we'll feed you lunch. We'll watch your kids. You can come anytime. It happens every single Sunday of the life of our church. And you can come anytime. Don't be afraid to do something for the very first time. Don't be afraid to bring your first fruit or your tithe or an offering to the Lord for the very first time. I know it's scary. I know the economy. I understand. I live in the same world that you do. I have bills just like you. But don't be afraid to trust God with your finances. 
Hey, don't be afraid to come to a small group. 70% of our church is now involved in a small group of some kind of way. I had a guy today, Bob, said, man, I went to the men's, or not men's, but the uh, target practicing small group. I said, I think we're the only church in America that calls a small group shooting guns. You know, I mean, it's just a great place to be. But don't be afraid to come to a small group for the first time and get into a circle that, man, I'm not sure if they'll accept me. I know it's a little awkward walking up to a door the first time, knocking on the door of someone's house you've never been to. Man, what's going to go on there? I don't know anybody. I, I know. But don't be afraid to do something for the very first time. See, let me say this. Chances are God will ask us to do something that's very unusual. And usually He'll ask us to do something that doesn't make sense and doesn't fit into our lifestyle. But we have got to become more concerned with obeying God than looking foolish. I'm going to tell you, I was nervous about moving back to Michigan. I didn't want to. I had pastored here for 12 years in this general area and came back. And the four years I was gone, the previous church I pastored had gone through some tough days and ended up closing. And there was some, there was some embarrassment on, that I felt. And really, it was pride. And I didn't want to come back. But I had to ultimately be more determined to obey God than be, and, and willing to look foolish and obey God and please God. And I'm glad that I did. Because what God calls us to do is always the right thing. Let me close with this. Let me close with this. Um, speaking of that time, in 2007, I resigned my church. The only church that I had pastored it had been there a number of years. And I remember we had this prayer center. It was a 24-hour prayer kind of chapel thing. And I closed it to the public, and I literally spent the night and all day in this prayer center asking God, what am I supposed to do? Feeling in my heart what I was supposed to do, but in my flesh not wanting really to, to do it. And you kind of, have you ever just wanted God to write it down on a piece of paper and say, here you go? <laughs> you know, anybody like me? I mean, it wouldn't just make life so much more simple. This is what I want you to do. Go to place A. And, and uh and I remember my wife joined me, Patty joined me for part of that day. We were in there together just seeking God. And I've come to decide that sometimes we already know what to do. You know, we just want to prolong the inevitable. And I knew it was time, uh, and I knew it was a season to resign. And um, I remember us leaving because we had a dinner appointment. Matter of fact, our dinner appointment was with Bill and Cindy Mustakeus. And uh, we were going to dinner that night. And it was like early March, kind of this kind of weather. And I remember us getting, leaving the prayer chapel and getting in our car to head to this dinner. And here's what I said. I said to Patty, I said, I just wish that God would do for me what like he did for Noah and give me a rainbow to show me this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, I'm not advocating that this is the way we ought to pray because I believe God can speak to us. But we got in the car, March weather, cloudy, gray, haven't seen the sun in weeks. And as we got on M14 to head to our dinner appointment, the biggest, brightest rainbow I've ever seen in my life stretched over M14 as we drove. And I was like, aha. And then four years later, God called us to come back and start a church from the beginning. And I left um, Washington. My family had already moved. We got our stuff out here. They got on an airplane and came. And I got on my motorcycle with a couple of buddies. 
And lo and behold, it was raining in Washington, go figure. And uh, we rode through the rain most of the first day until late afternoon, got over the mountain pass, got on the other side. And it was almost symbolic of leaving Washington. And as I got on the other side, I really hadn't thought about the rainbow in years. And as I got on the other side, I'm riding my motorcycle across Highway 2 over the Rocky Mountain Ridge, the brightest rainbow I've ever seen before that, after that. And it was like, man. And now to this day, every time I see a rainbow, I remember this. One man can make a difference. Amen. And I want you to leave here today, no matter how you feel about where you're at in the journey, I want you to know one person can make a difference. You receive that today? Amen. Amen. Come on, would you stand with me all over this place? I want to close in prayer.